Hello, and welcome back to Undiscovered. Undiscovered by Jamie. Undiscovered. Undiscovered. Oh my god. Honestly, that would make me turn this podcast off pretty quick. So (laughs) TBD on whether I start with that. Today was one of those days where I just woke up feeling anxious for no reason. I immediately went downstairs and got on the treadmill and started running. I took myself on like a four mile walk and I am feeling better. But on the walk, I decided that I should probably get a cold brew coffee. <laughs> I don't know why I'm feeling so masochistic today, but um, here we are. I'm back here sitting in my bed with the shakes. And I told you guys on Instagram stories, if you follow me on Instagram, that this episode was going to be full of a bunch of big changes. Well, actually, it's just going to be me explaining a lot of big changes that are happening. So this episode is very layered. I was crying in my bedroom while I was writing the other night and made the decision to record it in the moment. So for this episode, I am reading what I wrote at the very end because it feels a little too heavy to start off with it. But part of my journey is showing up in those moments too for the sake of all of you who need reassurance that it is not, in fact, just you. (laughs) With all that being said, please enjoy the episode. I want to start off by talking about the fact that this week I learned something very important about myself, which is kind of funny in and of itself because the whole thing I learned about myself is that I fucking love learning about myself. (laughs) Oh my god, I found out that I am an Enneagram type 4. And the best way that I can describe it is just that we are people who like to think and feel. AKA, we like to think things about what we're feeling and then feel some things about what we're thinking and then think some more and feel some more and then feel some more about whatever the fuck we're thinking. And as you can imagine, that can feel very, very exhausting. This week has been (laughs) particularly exhausting. The Enneagram test is a personality test. Take it or leave it. I totally understand if you're not somebody who likes to identify or categorize with this kind of stuff. Either way, Being a type four, our main motivation in life is relationship, aka from the moment we're born till the day we die, all we want to do is relate. And for a while, I was like, I don't know why relationships feels like such a large portion of my pie of important things in life and like what trauma had to happen for that to be so important. And now after hearing about the Enneagram, I'm like, sure, there's definitely things that happened in childhood that made me sort of more anxiously attached. I've had to do a bunch of inner child work to get to the secure place that I'm at now. Obviously, I still have some anxious tendencies. It's not like that shit just goes away. It kind of just made me feel a little bit better about the fact that I just might be wired to desire relationship more than a lot of things. I think that makes sense for this podcast because the whole reason that I started it is to relate to you guys and also to feel less alone. And one of the things they say about Enneagram type fours is that they're desperate to be understood. And when I first heard that, I was like, oh, that's not me. Like, I'm not one of those people that's like, oh, I feel so misunderstood. But I started to hear it in a different way. And it was more like, no, these people are desperate to just understand themselves And they want to make sure that other people understand them because in other people understanding them, it makes them feel less alone and less crazy. I just remember like from the time when I was little, I was just 
kind of wondering like, am I the only person feeling this emotion? And I think this is my problem with people getting upset at other people for relating to somebody in a conversation by sharing their own stories. I think we've been told a healthier way of handling someone's distress is by simply listening. But I more oftentimes than not find myself being like, has this ever happened to you? And wanting the other person to share stories about how they've experienced something similar because that comforts me more than you just being silent and listening. I think this is a very long-winded way of me saying, I don't think it's selfish if you hear somebody talking about something that they're upset about and you're relating it back to something that you experienced that might feel similar because if the person you're talking to is like me and they want to feel less alone and relate, then I think that can be helpful. That's the whole reason that I listen to so many podcasts in the first place. And eventually, that is the reason that I wanted to start this one because I am literally speaking to a lot of you who feel the same way. And if you don't feel the same way, congratulations. I am so jealous of you. What I learned is that I will do so much thinking and feeling and where I lack is in the doing of things. It is so hard for me to just do things and not think and feel things about what the fuck I'm doing. Because on one hand, I love that part of me. I think that is the part of me that is a writer and a creative. But on the other hand, that part of me keeps me from taking action. For example, I have a lot of thoughts and feelings about dating. But when it comes to making myself actually go on a fucking date, I get so overwhelmed and I like throw my phone against the wall and I'm like, no, I'm not doing it. No, I don't actually throw my phone against the wall. I'm not like violent like that. I looked at my Hinge profile this week and I have not responded to anyone. And I'm sitting here complaining that I'm single and I'm like, okay, so you can't complain because you're just sitting in your bed thinking and feeling about how you're single and not actually challenging yourself. So that's going to be another episode. Maybe I'll just take you guys through my dating journey. We're going to do it together because I don't want to feel alone in being single and dating. And I know there's plenty of you that I'm talking to that probably are very overwhelmed with this exact same thing. So I'm like, maybe we all just do this together. Write it in the comments. That actually might make dating fun. And we can do like a whole Q&A episode. Okay, now I'm getting excited about dating just because I get to relate to you guys (laughs) about it. If you listened to my last episode with my best friend Alyssa, we were talking about human design. This is another type of personality test and I identify as a manifesting generator. It's hard because all of this language can sound really woo-woo and I understand why it would make you want to skip over this part because you're like, Jamie, stop trying to like categorize and label things in order to understand them. However, unfortunately for you and me, All of these different personality types almost complement each other in a way that makes me understand myself more. And for a bitch like me who's just desperate to get to the bottom of nothing about herself, these personality tests are like crack cocaine. As a manifesting generator, one of the other things that is also the exact same in a type 4 Enneagram personality is that I have to be so passionate about something in order to do it. And if I'm not, I won't do it. AKA that is why boring tasks like cleaning my room or doing mundane activities or chores or simply responding to a stranger on the internet that I do not even know, that feels impossible to me. And so I'm having a very hard time just functioning on mundane days where I may not have anything like extremely interesting to do. I just feel unfulfilled. I am just learning how to feel neutral emotions. So I will keep you posted on how that's going. Anyway, on to the big changes. Let's get into it. I actually recorded a part of this episode earlier this week, 
in the middle of a lot of these changes happening, and I'm going to include that portion. I'm in a little bit of a different headspace today, so I'm sure you can hear the difference in energy in my voice, but I wanted to give you guys that update because I do go into detail about a lot of things. So here it is. actually going to post any of this but I need talk therapy with myself I am somebody who actually talks out loud to themselves and I don't just mean like my to-do list in like a whisper tone I mean exactly like this at full volume as if me myself and I are having our own therapy session over whatever the fuck is going on in my life <laughs> I thought about writing a love letter to my current apartment because I have some big life updates for you guys, because nobody's in my apartment other than me right now, which I will get into. I'm going to be leaving Los Angeles for a little bit. The best way that I can put it is that I've been feeling for a while almost called to not be here. I've been wanting to go home for a while, especially since my Nana passed, just because it's dawned on me that life is short and that one day my parents will pass away and I want to squeeze them as tight as possible for as long as I have right now. And as I've gotten older and out of my early 20s and entering my later 20s and my early 30s, I am finding myself really, really missing my family. And as time goes on and I meet more people that come from all different walks of life, it makes me unbelievably grateful to have the privilege of having a good relationship with my parents. And I want to lean into that and savor that for as long as I can. I don't wanna live in Chicago. But right now, I don't want to live in LA. I've been wanting to travel for a really long time. And I feel like the universe is pushing me out of this apartment because I've been saying I wanted to leave for now over a year and never really felt like it was the right time. And I think that's something that I am currently working on. Don't wait until the very last straw to leave. Don't wait until you have enough reasons. Wanting to leave is enough. And those aren't my words. Those are Cheryl Strayed's words from Tiny Beautiful Things. It's kind of incredible in a way because the way that this all played out, while it would look negative on paper, it does feel very serendipitous and we will get into all the reasons for that. So as much as I'm going to miss my friends in Los Angeles so fucking much and I could cry saying that, I know and they know that what I'm doing is definitely something that I need to do and that feels right. It's definitely not where I thought I would be at 29, but in a way I feel so oddly relieved. And leaving my apartment is a mix of emotions because I am so sad to say goodbye to this apartment. And if I am being honest, this apartment hasn't felt like home in a really long time. And I had been fighting that and fighting that until finally the universe was like, all right, I guess we have to punch you in the gut in order to get you to go. <laughs> I'm going to do a whole longer episode on all of the events that transpired in the last week that made me get here. Earlier this month, my one roommate went back home for a month. And coincidentally, that night is when I learned some very character-defining things about another one of my roommates that led me to make the decision the next morning that while I was okay continuing being her roommate, I had told her I wanted to take a step back from the friendship. Within five days of that, she had signed a new lease and moved out. I know that that sounds a little bizarre and a little manic because it is. <laughs> I've been trying to find the words for it and I think the best word that I can come to 
is manic because it just happened so fast. I do just want to give her credit where it's due. She did communicate two days later that she viewed an apartment and I told her that I would pay her rent and that she was free to go whenever because I honestly was more willing to pay extra money than live in a space that felt super uncomfortable. And in the course of a 45-minute conversation, I had realized that I did not feel very safe in the friendship. There were plenty of red flags that I just kind of let go because I wasn't really taking any of her actions or the way she was living her life personally. I didn't agree with a lot of decisions that she was making, but it never affected me because at the end of the day, I'm like, it's your life. And they were things where I was like, I don't know that this would even be a productive conversation because I could tell that she was kind of in this place in her life where maybe she just needed to explore and experiment and make choices and learn from them. I just eventually got to a point where I felt like I was sort of walking on eggshells a lot to the point where I couldn't really say how I was feeling because I wasn't sure what kind of response I was going to get because there was a lot of inconsistency and that's something that I will definitely talk about in another episode. I really want my friend Naomi to come on the podcast. She is a licensed therapist. She's helped me through a lot of other things in my life in general. She is one of the most emotionally intelligent people I've ever met and truly from a young age she's always been and one of her specialties is conflict resolution and couples therapy relationships and obviously while none of these relationships were romantic these were still people that I was living with and that can get really really tough. So I'm going to have Naomi come on the podcast because she is also so moving back to Chicago in August and we're going to talk about what happened and how to resolve conflict within friendships and how to live with people and some things that you might want to look out for but I think it's going to be a really interesting episode I obviously am telling you guys everything from my perspective but I am going to respect the other party and not name names and not get too into the nitty-gritty I'm not saying anything negative about this person I don't think that this person is a bad person at all I think there was a lot of projection happening and miscommunication. I do want to make sure I'm super clear. I lived with two other people. So one of my roommates was a friend I've known for almost nine years. And while our living styles weren't a great match, we did end up adjusting and found a pretty happy medium over time. So nothing negative happened with her and we are still on good terms. And she was very open about wanting to live alone from the get-go. So there's still a lot of love there. We actually decided that moving out would be the best option for both of us because she had wanted to live alone for a while. So it didn't make sense for us to sign another one year lease. And I had been wanting to travel and go home. So this was kind of the best option for both of us. And there's no hard feelings. We figured that out in a way that would respect both of our needs. The other roommate was someone I had only known for about five to six months, and we were friendly before becoming roommates, which <laughs> was a fast track to figuring out that this person and I were not a good match both for friendship and living together. I think I'm really, really good at choosing phenomenal friends, and that's something I've always been pretty confident about, but I will say... My issue is that I always want to see the best in people and I really have to stop fucking doing that because I'm, I'm learning that the benefit of the doubt is not always helpful. I think that sometimes it's really beneficial to listen to the doubt because there's a reason that the doubt was there in the first place. 
truly, there is so much to say on that because now in hindsight, I'm looking back and I'm like, oh my God, it's unbelievable that I have been in this situation for a year. And sometimes when you rid that negative energy from your life, you can see it so much more clearly. It's almost scary. To give you perspective, I have been in my apartment alone now for about a week. And the biggest lesson that I have learned is that living with the wrong people is much lonelier than living alone. And I never, ever thought I would say that. I am such an extroverted person. I crave relationship. I do not want to live alone. But man, trying to relate to people that are not meant for you is going to make you feel a hundred times lonelier. And I look back and I wonder why this has felt like the loneliest year of my life. And now it's finally starting to make sense to me. I definitely have struggled with codependency in the past. And I think when we think of the word codependence, we're always like, oh, it's just this person that wants to be around you all the time and hang out and blah, blah, blah. That's actually not what codependence is. Being codependent looks like enabling someone else's usually toxic behavior because you want to maintain relationships. And so instead of making the other person upset, you are making excuses for their behavior and upsetting yourself. On my end, looking back, I had been really unhappy with my uh, apartment dynamic ever since Michelle and Katie, my two old roommates, moved out because it really felt like a family with them. And since they both moved out, it has not felt that way. But I definitely was trying to make home out of human beings that never felt like home. And that doesn't mean that these people were wrong at all. This just means that we were not meant to live together. I'm not going to waste this episode getting into all of that. We're going to do a whole episode on it. And we're going to talk about what happened, how I could have done things differently. And what I learned that I think is the number one most important thing in conflict resolution, whether it's a friendship, family relationship, or romantic relationship, I have come up with a theory that one of the best things that we can do is very, very simple, and I'll save it for the next episode. Okay, so I'm going home. I'm going home to the place where I belong. Love has always been enough for me Cause these places and these places are getting Is that Chris Daughtry? (laughs) Fuck Does anybody remember Chris Daughtry? Shout out to Chris Daughtry The last time I was home Me and my brother were like driving to our old neighbor's apartment To go play Monopoly Hell yeah And he was in charge of the radio And like literally out of nowhere He just puts on Chris Daughtry And for him to just bust out like old American Idol tunes At any given moment I just think is some brilliant fucking comedy Okay The biggest big fat giant change is that I am leaving Los Angeles. I feel weird saying that, honestly, because I do have intentions to come back. In 2020, during COVID, I actually left Los Angeles to go home to my parents for about five and a half months. And it's not like I've never done this before, but for some reason, this feels very different. I've decided to put all of my stuff in storage. I gave my 30-day notice to my apartment complex last week. I think because I won't have my apartment and I'm putting my things in storage, it feels a little bit more unsettling. I feel liberated in a really uncomfortable way. I'm somebody who really craves control and just putting my things in storage and not really having a concrete plan 
is not really like me. And for that reason alone, I feel like it's the thing that I need to do the most (laughs) is let myself live. I have been talking about wanting to travel for the longest time. The only place that I've ever been outside of the country other than the Caribbean is Bali. Like I haven't even been to Europe. I feel like everyone and their mother, especially if you're a content creator, has been to fucking Europe. The fact that I'm not having my own Italian fucking summer right now feels like a crime. All of my friends are like, Jamie, you would fucking love Europe. And I'm like, I know. So I don't want to go and spend an arm and a leg renting out a one bedroom or a two bedroom apartment in Los Angeles and then fuck off to Europe and go home for a month. Like that just doesn't make sense financially. And I think that I'm just craving this opportunity to, I don't know, experience different culture and experience different sides of myself and I am not sure because I don't really know what it is that I need to learn. And I'm sure that will be true for the rest of my life. But for some reason, I know that by staying in LA, I don't think I'm putting myself in the place to learn the things I need to learn. And I know that sounds really vague and generic, but it's not something that I even think I need to know now, even though I want to know everything and I want to understand everything in this moment right the fuck now. The last time I went to Bali, I learned a lot about myself. It was such a beautiful experience and I remember it was really hard and I think that was the number one thing I learned about travel is that it looks so easy and glamorous on Instagram and then you do it yourself and you're like, ooh, travel has this other side to it that's like, You have plenty of moments where you realize that you're still yourself and your struggles are still the same and you're just in a different country and being in a different country doesn't really eradicate you of all of the things that you're still working on. (laughs) The best thing that I can say is I don't have anxiety about moving and I think that this really is the difference between anxiety and your gut. On the surface, sure. Like I have anxiety about the logistics of moving and packing up all of my things, finding a storage unit, shipping my car, the prospect of living at home with my parents again, and the narrative that I'm going to make up about it, even though it's not true. Like all of those things on the surface are sure, like anxiety provoking thoughts. But in my heart of hearts, I am very calm and there is a quiet, deep knowing inside my body that is very certain that I need to be home right now. I'm not calling all my friends asking them what I should do. I'm calling all of my friends telling them that while I feel scared to make this decision, I know that I need to. And if anything, I'm just asking them to validate what I already know for me. I have been in LA for seven years and that's a really long time. It's funny because since getting Lulu, I haven't really spent a good amount of time outside of Los Angeles just because traveling and thinking about my dog has been a little more difficult. And I knew that that would be something that I would struggle with if I got a dog because the reality is like I have people that can absolutely watch her, but I also just get anxiety about leaving her and I hate leaving her. It's hard because she really does feel like my daughter. I just think that right now my work is to slow down and get a little bit more intentional with my purpose. And I've felt so much purpose and passion for this podcast. I cannot even tell you. And I can podcast from anywhere. I'm just lately really craving like seasons and a slower lifestyle and relaxation and fields of grass. Like sometimes I just want to lay in the fucking grass for two hours and look up at the sky and just write in my journal. And I know I can do that here, but sometimes it feels like I can't because it's like this silent, invisible chaos among us in Los Angeles. 
And that's the best way that I can describe it. In New York City, it almost feels like a very obvious chaos that would give me anxiety in a very different way. But in Los Angeles, it's like a quiet chaos. And that's almost scarier sometimes because I feel like I am in a race, but I can't see anyone racing with me. And I think that's something that I need to work on. I feel like I am comparing my life to the version of my life that I thought it would be by now. And sure, when I see other people with that version I always dreamt of for myself, I get so envious. But I never get like jealous. I'm never like, oh my God, I deserve that and they don't. Like not at all. I'm always like, oh my God, that is incredible for them and that really makes me want that for myself so much. And I know a lot of people fall into this trap with social media, especially. I also just feel this huge breath of fresh air and relief the second that I am in the suburbs because everything is so close together. There's nothing that makes me feel like I need to move quickly. I'm just excited to be more intentional with my time, creating content that actually inspires me because every single time I go out to shoot in Los Angeles, I feel like I'm on autopilot and all the content is just the same thing on repeat. And it's not even inspiring me. And I talked about this in another episode. Why am I thinking that that is going to inspire you guys if like I'm not even super excited about pressing upload? Of course, I'm sitting here being like, okay, at 29, I would have liked to at least be with the person that I know I want to spend the rest of my life with. And I'm definitely struggling with the narrative around living at home with my parents for a couple months. And while there's nothing wrong with that, I just don't think that I expected to do this at this age. I actually had one of my friends the other day call me and be like, I am so jealous that you have a home that you want to go to for months at a time. If I had that available to me, I would totally do that. It just kind of got me thinking what an incredible fresh perspective on what's happening. She's right. I have parents that I would love to live with. I have childhood friends that I would love to spend days on end with. I have a home that I genuinely enjoy being in and brings me so much happiness. I am looking forward to making homemade pizzas with my mom, dad, and brother and playing rummy cube at the kitchen table and starting a new thriller show with my dad and making s'mores by the fire in the backyard and going on walks with the dogs every morning. I am so looking forward to that and I am calling it my early onset suburban mother syndrome. Like that's just where I'm at. And Lexi, Lexi Mars on Instagram, if you don't know her, is one of my best friends since the early days of Instagram. We we actually met in Los Angeles because we had the same hairdresser in the suburbs of Chicago and she is coincidentally putting all of her stuff in storage and moving back to the suburbs as well and so we're literally going to be a town over from each other and we are just in our early onset suburban mother syndrome era so right now in this moment I will tell you what I know to be true about where I would like to see myself in the next few months. I am really sad because I have so many incredible friends here that I'm going to miss so much. And it makes me emotional even talking about it. I have a feeling I won't be back in LA until January. October feels a little bit too soon. I still want to make sure I'm traveling then. November is Thanksgiving. December is the holidays. And I just feel like January is going to be the perfect time for like a fresh start. I'm really, really looking forward to getting a new apartment and decorating it on my own and having the space all to myself and having it be exactly what I want. And I love HGTV and home renovation projects. Like that truly has been an obsession of mine lately. I have always loved interior design, 
But like one of the things that I think I'm most excited about for when I move back is curating my own apartment and having it look like the dream apartment I have always wanted. And if I'm being honest about my apartment now, it has truly, and I've been saying this for the past year, felt like a cocoon. This felt like such a middle ground apartment. Like I can't explain it to you. And it's so interesting how our bodies just know things before our minds are ready to accept them. But in my body, I had known that for some reason there was this quality to this apartment that has always felt unfinished. And that's the best way I can describe it. Like for some reason, I could never get the interior quite right. Every time I tried to film in it, the color of the walls or the lighting wasn't looking like how I wanted it to be. And I don't know. It sort of feels like this really beautiful metaphor for exactly where I was and have been in my life and currently kind of still am in my life. Just this messy middle in-between period. Like my first apartment in LA, while it was really cute and curated, it was so representative of where I was in life. It was a very first starter apartment in LA and it has a very specific sort of nostalgia to it where I'm like ooh, I do not miss that at all and I couldn't wait to get the fuck out of there I can look back on it with a sweet lens but I'm also like ooh, I was like not myself and feeling kind of miserable a lot in that apartment <laughs> I feel really differently when I look at this apartment I was in the process of coming home to myself and coming home in general and that's exactly what it sort of stayed as. It's an apartment that just represents being in process. And it never really came to completion. And I think that if I'm honest, there's something really interesting even in that. Because I would always get really scared of bringing it to completion. And underneath that fear was like, okay, but when it is done and I have no more home renovation projects left, and no more furniture to reorganize or throw away or sell on Facebook Marketplace just to replace with something else. What am I left with? What am I going to do? A part of me never really wanted to be done processing because I was so scared of what the hell was on the other side of that. And would it be boring? Will it feel mundane? Will I feel neutral? Will I not have anything to do? The answer is two things. Number one, maybe. And maybe that's a space that you need to lean into a little bit. And number two, by staying in process, I think you rob yourself of all of the other opportunities that are on the other side of completing projects. And as somebody who has made projects out of both my apartment and other human beings, I am getting to a place where I no longer want to take on projects like that anymore, especially human beings. I am enough of a project myself that I genuinely enjoy working on. I want a partner who is also committed to doing the work on themselves. I don't want a partner that I have to teach and course correct how to be in a relationship, how to relate to me, and how to relate to themselves. I don't want a friendship like that. I don't want a roommate like that. I don't want a life partner like that. Something that is also a part of being a type four Enneagram. Type fours have a lot of work to do. And the issue is that they fucking love doing it. It's actually a blessing too. It can be an issue because sometimes we really need to stop doing the fucking work and just relax and like be a little boring for a second. So maybe my apartment is just one giant messy metaphor for where I feel like I am in life. And there are things, there are genuine deal breakers about this apartment that I have been desperately trying to compromise on when I know I don't want to. Like the fact that it gets absolutely no light and I'm someone with seasonal depression who really loves being outside and really loves light. I get it at six in the morning and that's about it. I walk into my apartment in the middle of the day 
and it's pretty fucking dark and I don't want to live in a space like that. And this apartment and the way that it's built and the direction it's facing is also never going to change. So why did I spend the last year trying to fit myself in a space that I don't fucking fit in? I love this apartment and it is not my perfect match. And how many people can we say that about too, you know? I've been trying to not know something that I know, which is that I don't want to live here. I don't want to live with these people. I don't want to live in this apartment. And finally, I am so ready to go. And that's scary. But you know what's scarier than that? The scariest thing would be staying. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, if you are staying in a place that you don't want to stay in, whether it be a relationship, a friendship, an apartment, what have you, if you know you don't want to stay, I am giving you permission to know that. If you want to go, go. Before I end this episode, I'm going to do a couple question and answers. Oh my God, I literally just opened my phone and it's 222. And if you guys don't know, I literally have a tattoo of 222 on my wrist. They're angel numbers, which we talk about. If you heard my episode on Peyton Sarton's podcast, Note to Self, we literally did a whole episode on how I'm navigating life's messy middle, which was now looking back so fucking accurate and almost comical. But 222 means that you are exactly where you need to be. You are in the right place at the right time and you are, let me actually like look it up, hold on. The time has come for you to be more self-reflective and focused on the duality of situations, LOL. There are two sides to everything and even the moon has a light and dark side. Therefore, two is cyclical. It's about phases. It's all about trusting yourself and finding ways to work out your current situation. And through this expression, it emphasizes creativity and the creativity can lead to further self-discovery. I've been seeing 222 for the longest time and this situation that I am currently going through in my life has never felt more in alignment with the 222 angel number. The fact that I just finished recording this, picked up my phone and the time was 222, I just feel like that was a silent nod from the universe. It makes me feel like I'm doing something right. And I know that you might discredit everything I ever have said because I just said that. And that's fine. You do you. That's okay. follow me on Instagram. I am at Jamie Alex and I will do question and answers on my Instagram stories so that you guys can submit your questions and I'll answer them at the end of every podcast, almost every podcast. I actually didn't in my conversation with Alyssa, but I do want to make it a more regular thing. Number one, how do you deal with failure? Great fucking question. I think that this is really relevant for this episode because there is a part of me that when I decided to move back, I also was telling my life coach that I felt like I failed Los Angeles or that Los Angeles failed me. Eh, Not really. I felt like I failed Los Angeles. It's interesting because that's such a self-deprecating perspective. And I think sometimes I have to be honest with myself about those initial anxious thoughts because obviously that is not how I want to internalize what's going on and it's not really how I feel about it but it is like an anxiety or a narrative that I'm afraid of and for the most part I am afraid that other people might think that of me and see this whole move back as a step back or like I somehow am not doing as well as I'm showing 
as if me staying in LA means that I am somehow doing better and me moving back means that I am regressing. And I think that's just a story that I've been telling myself. I like to always think of all the possible options of how what I'm doing could be perceived, which gets me into trouble when it comes to this because I know that I actually don't feel like I'm regressing, but I'm so concerned with other people potentially creating that story. And it's like, who the fuck cares? I can't control that. I am still learning how to let go of imagining what other people think because a lot of the time I wonder if failure feels so painful because we imagine that other people think we're failing or care that we're failing. I think the best thing that I have for you is offering yourself compassion in these moments where it feels like failure and also reframing the failure. I remember this one quote actually and I forget where it's from. And I may have mentioned this in a previous episode, but I always come back to it. It was like somebody describing their rock bottom. Is there something that you need to see from this vantage point of rock bottom before you start climbing up and up and up? Call it delusional optimism, but I think I'd rather live with that story than any other story. I think when we frame something as failure, it feels so much darker than it actually is. And a lot of times it's not even failure. (laughs) I think we need a better word. And even in my last episode that I did with Alyssa on social media, there were so many beautiful lessons and blessings that came from her failing on social media over and over again. And then when we really dissected it, we were like, actually, you weren't failing. You were just finding yourself. You kept going. And the whole point of this podcast is that we keep discovering new things. Thomas Edison failed a million times until he discovered and invented the light bulb. And I know that is so basic, but it's true. And sometimes we got to remember that. I think that whatever it is you feel like you're failing at right now is probably setting you up for some massive success later. And who cares if that's true or not? That's what I would want to believe. Number two, advice for going no contact after leaving a toxic relationship. I think no matter what, whether it's toxic or not, no contact after a breakup is probably the best option because you really need to think about your intention for contacting the other person after you broke up. And even if it's just to make sure the other person is okay, you shouldn't be the person comforting them through the breakup. You really do need time and space before there's any sort of possibility for reconciliation, especially if it's feeling like it's a toxic relationship. Yeah, there's no real reason for any reconciliation. Cut that shit, get out. Number three, take us through how you felt through the process of gaining followers. How did it make you feel and how did it affect old and new relationships? So I gained a lot of my followers in 20, like 18, 2019, I would say. When I first gained followers, and I talk about this in the last episode, I don't think my intention on social media now is the same as it was when I was gaining followers, I truly was less interested in being relatable. I wanted to be idolized. I wanted to feel special. That's not to say that that was all encompassing, right? Like I love being on social media. I have always loved putting together outfits and getting creative with like recreating Pinteresty photos and aesthetics and putting together a feed. I just think that when I first started, I was definitely seeking a specific type of attention on social media that I eventually had to really work on in therapy. 
I think I probably went through a period where maybe I thought I was like cool whenever I came back home or something. I honestly don't even really remember. A lot of my childhood friendships are still in Chicago. So I actually wasn't around a lot of the people that I grew up with when I started to gain a following. It was mostly around newer people. I wonder if it would have made that big of a difference. I don't really know because a lot of the people that knew me, we maintained like a long distance friendship. New relationships, I definitely had to figure out who my people were within like the influencer community. There were definitely people that I had to learn the hard way were not really for me. It's kind of like making work friends and then deciding which work friends are actually a healthy dynamic and which aren't. Number four, did you always feel like you'd be a more public person? Was it semi-natural because of singing? That's a really good question. I actually feel like I was always into entertainment and performing. And so in that regard, yeah, probably because all of the things that I wanted to do required an audience. (laughs) I also do have that part of me that loves being the center of attention. I will absolutely own that. When I was younger, singing like really, really fulfilled me. I sort of would always dream about creating an album and performing in front of large crowds of people and stuff like that. And of course, that's kind of transitioned into content creation and now acting. But I would say, yeah, I feel like I always had passions that were part of that world number five five number five okay what was your relationship with social media like before were you always a content creator i remember in my college bedroom scrolling through instagram it was like when influencers were just starting to get popular the whole fashion and lifestyle thing a lot of it was very fashion based and i just remember wanting to do that stuff so bad i loved taking pictures getting dolled up putting outfits together and creating a feed and i loved following all of the og content creators and influencers even in high school i would rush home to go watch YouTube videos like I was so obsessed with beauty gurus on YouTube shout out if you remember that era also I still have to watch Juicy Sorrow 7's comeback video because I binge watched all of her videos like she was my favorite and I miss OG YouTube because I was a true fan okay and then I just watched it so much and I felt like such a part of the community that I just wanted to start my own community and I am so happy I did Number six, how has being a dog mom helped you grow? Does it bring out any anxieties? I'm actually going to do a whole episode on this because it absolutely brought out a lot of anxieties. I have always been such a dog person that when I first brought home a dog, even to foster, I was shocked at how much anxiety it gave me. Having dogs growing up and the connection to animals for me felt like such a huge part of me that I was so confused because it gave me so much anxiety about almost like being a mother. And so if you're feeling that right now, it is so okay and so normal. One of my very best friends, Alexis, who also worked as my part-time assistant, works at Wags and Walks, which is a dog rescue. And I am going to do a whole episode on that because that cause and community is incredibly important to me. And I think there's so much that we don't know that we could learn. Number seven, if you could have a superpower, what would it be and how would it improve your life? Okay. I love this question. I have always known the answer to this since I was, I think, in high school. It would be the power to heal. I would love, and I think it's so funny that I say this because I'm like, I have to remind myself that I am not a fucking rehab center all the time. So now that I say this out loud and the fact that I came up with this in high school, I'm like, fuck, I could have predicted 
the future for myself. I think it would be a massive burden. And so I wouldn't want to be the only person with this superpower because I don't think I'd be able to live my life. However, I think the power to heal would be so beautiful because I could make sure that I could spend a lot longer with my loved ones. That would be a really interesting movie plot, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. Don't steal it. Okay, number eight. As a fellow 29-year-old childless female, do you get external pressure to create children? I don't really get external pressure if you're talking about from family and friends. I think living in Los Angeles is unique because it feels like the timeline is a little pushed back here. I would say my internal timeline is not as laxy-daisy as a lot of people in LA, or at least we sort of look at LA as this collective and we're like, okay, people are just not rushed. And I don't necessarily feel as rushed as I think I would have felt if I were in the Midwest. However, I'm definitely somebody who, again, craves relationship. I've been really unsure about kids. And then after sitting next to my Nana's bedside, surrounded by her children and her grandchildren as she passed, I realized just the brevity and preciousness of this one life. And I think I would regret not knowing and experiencing having children. And I know I want to do it with somebody that I feel very strongly is my person and would be a great partner and parent. I think a lot of women struggle too with wanting a child, but also being single and not having a partner that they want a child with. And then some people get to a point where they're like, actually, I think that having a child is more important than having a partner with a child. And then you can make the decision from there. I think working through those big life decisions in therapy can be super, super helpful. Okay. Before I end this episode, as promised, here is the writing sample that I told you guys I would end the episode with. I was crying, so just keep that in mind. And this is vulnerable for me to share, but I know I really want to. So here it is. Dear Apartment 207, I have been lost and found a hundred times here, and you have grounded me every time. I can't tell if I will miss you, or this moment of feeling lost and confused, or how much I once missed it at all. They say the dying replays a lifetime before the last breath, my mind is a montage of moments here. Moving in with friends who became family fast, running back to you with house projects, decorating all your dimensions with popcorn and spilled wine, holding each other, curled up in bed when it felt like our emotions could end the world right here. You met my first love. You watched him leave for the last time. You stood sturdy as I screamed, tears streaming. You kept your cool as I got the call that I booked my first show. You watched it with me. And one by one, you let your original three pack up and leave. One day, I will drive by your double doors with loving eyes. I'll remember how you held space as I kicked around in this little cocoon, staying behind, trying to fit myself into a home I knew I outgrew. I thought I stayed longer than I should have, but I think that's the point. I keep getting better at learning when to go. I think it's time you hold somebody else for a while. I hope they love these clean walls well. I know I did. I can't believe this will be a time in my life that I talk about. How weird is it that we become a collection of times in our lives that we talk about? I am feeling so <laughs> emotional. 
and relieved and sad and happy and excited and anxious and calm and everything everywhere all at once. (laughs) And I just needed to cry tonight and write tonight. And I am sentimental and I also love being sentimental. And I kind of love crying. (laughs) And sometimes sadness feels comfortable to me, especially at this age, because I know it won't last very long. And I know I'll wake up tomorrow and feel okay. And also, it's okay to feel sad. (laughs) You can be okay in the sadness. I just felt like it would be important to record this shit. Because we don't. We think it's embarrassing. We don't want to post these moments. Because they feel like they suck. But they're the thing that actually connects us most. Because we all do this. We all cry alone in our bedrooms. What the hell is the point in pretending we don't? Man, I suck at goodbyes. (laughs) And I will see you guys in Chicago.